see everybody here this morning. What a great group on a three-day weekend to have here at the church. Got a lot of people out doing a lot of different things this weekend, and I'm glad that you're here to be with us this morning. So great to see everybody. So as you've already seen through the uh, illustration um, video that we had, you, you see that we're covering a lot of territory today. And one of the things that we're trying to do with the message here on Sunday morning is not repeat the information that you already have as much as it is to tie it together and give some interpretation to how it all fits together in God's plan. And we're going to see some of that again this morning. As I've said, the Old Testament is a foreshadowing or a, sort of an illustration of what really occurs then when Jesus comes. And so with the way God works with revealing himself is it's progressive revelation. We could not know who God is except for what he reveals about himself. We can't know God except for him allowing us to know him. And so what we have is his presentation of himself to the people of Israel. And um, we have this information. So as we said that we have these, uh, this, people think that there are as many as a million, at least a million, maybe more than a million people who exited Egypt in this great caravan of uh, people with all their possessions and their animals, and they were given gold and, and special wealth when they left, even though they were slaves. The Egyptian people gave them their, their treasures and some of their gold and some of their possessions to leave. So they left with all of this stuff as well as with each other. And as we've seen the hunters pulling into town with all of their RVs and all their gear and all their ATVs and their... I mean, I've seen refrigerators, I've seen... I mean, isn't it just something to see these trailers all loaded down with the things that are on it? And I can imagine... Can you imagine a million people going camping together? Seriously, I mean, the whole town of Gunnison, almost all of Denver, all of us out there together in this wilderness area, all trying to find space. I've, I've been with people that go camping, and particularly people that pull RVs, and they spend their time driving around and around looking for that perfect spot to camp. And then you're up in close quarters with people. You're right next to people. Um, some people are running generators and you're going, oh my gosh, you know, why don't you stay at home instead of pull these things out? I mean, it gets to be pretty crazy, right? So you have all these Israelites out here in this desert together. They're rubbing shoulders on each other. Who knows what they're doing about going to the bathroom? cooking food, doing these things together, and yet they're still carrying all this sin with them inside of themselves, and so they're living this out with each other in very close proximity to each other because they were continuing to commit adultery, steal, cover what their neighbors had, um, you know, all these things. They were just, they were still, they were free, but they're not free. You know what I mean? They were living free now, but they didn't know what it was to be free, and so they were still sinning, and I can just imagine this. You know, a, a guy goes up to his buddy there and he says, man, my wife and I had the worst fight last night over, you know, what was happening out here, who was going to cook and who's going to wash the dishes. And, who, and we just got in this big argument and, and uh, 
And so his buddy said, well, well, how did it turn out? And the guy said, well, she came, she came crawling to me on her hands and knees. I said, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, she said, get up out of that car, from underneath that cart and fight like a man. Anyway. So they were in all of this uh, stuff together. And Moses was the, the great leader of this group that uh, was committing all of this sin and continuing to have struggles with each other. So here's, here's some information that I'm going to share with you today. First of all, we know that God gave them freedom from slavery. He took them out of their bondage to Pharaoh. He set them free, and they were living out together as a group of people. They've gone through the... Red Sea, they've been delivered from the Egyptians, they're out in this wilderness setting, they continue to grumble, but he's taking care of them. Also now, they are getting introduced to a new deity. In Egypt, there were many gods, including Pharaoh, who thought himself as a god. So they had not really come to understand who God is. Moses was learning more about who he was, but this is what God said, I'm Yahweh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God is introducing himself now to the people of Israel, the Hebrews who are out in this place. And so, as I said, it's progressive revelation. And the only way that they could know about that was if he showed that to them. So what does he do? He decides that he's going to come and dwell among them. So he's going to come and he's going to be in a tent too. It's called a tabernacle. He gave them really specific instructions on how to build this tabernacle. And then there was going to be the Ark of the Covenant, which was about a four foot by two and a half foot wooden box covered in gold with all of this information that was related to this and that eventually Moses put the tablets into. So God was going to covenant or abide and be present and live among the people. And his presence was to be within this tent or this tabernacle and Moses would go and meet with God in that place so that was set in the center of the camp among the people so he's introducing himself to them so they have a new deity also he gave them a new identity he gave them a new identity he said to them that this is what they were going to be he said although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and I think that's quite a vision that he spoke over these people. He said, you are going to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people set apart for me. And as God said that to them, here was this wild, chaotic group of people who were sinning all over the place. And God speaks a vision over them. And he says to them, I choose you. I want you to be my people for me, a holy possession, a holy nation for me. I choose you. They didn't do anything to deliver themselves out of Egypt. God did that for them. They weren't even feeding themselves. God was providing manna for them in the wilderness. He was showing them where the water was. God was doing all these thing, things for these people that were not easy to love, that had hard hearts, that were grumbling all the time, that had all these issues. And God said, I'm speaking to you. You will be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people. I choose you which I think is an amazing thing. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And that's what he gave them. He gave them a new identity, called them a chosen people, a royal priesthood. But then the people, it got messy for them. As we said, Moses went up on a mountain. 
He got the Ten Commandments from God. While he was up there, the people said, we need a, we need a God we can see. We're, we're not happy with this God. We don't understand this. So Aaron said, well, give me all your gold. And they did, and he made a calf out of it. And when he was a golden calf, and when he was confronted by that by Moses, and I love this. This is so great about the Bible. Here's what Aaron said. Well, the people gave me all this gold. I threw it in the fire. It melted, and out came a calf. Seriously, that's what he said. It's like, I didn't do it. I don't understand how that happened. Look at this. Wow, we got a golden cow. Isn't that sometimes the way we do it when confronted about sin in our own lives? We have an excuse or we made somebody, we make a fault on somebody. The devil made me do it or so-and-so, somebody else's fault. Same thing happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, if you remember, you know? It's like, well, it was Satan. And then it was, Adam says, well, it was this woman. And I mean, the blame game was going on all over the place and that's what took place. But of course, God wasn't very happy about that. So he gave them a new freedom he gave them a new deity he gave them a new identity and he gave them some new laws he gave them some new laws now most of us we do not like laws uh the people were under laws with pharaoh but the lawgiver of pharaoh it was to put them in slavery the lawgiver god did this because he loved them so he was doing this to give them protection it's like he got he got all these children together and I don't know if you've ever had a talk with your kids ever, if you have kids, raise kids, you, you kind of gave them the law, didn't you? I mean, it was like you can do these things, but you can't do these things. And so because if you, if you do these things, they're going to hurt you. You're going to suffer. But you have the freedom to do all of this other, and this is good for you. This is where your life will be. This is where goodness is. So the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments, are related to how we relate to God. The next six, relate, next six commandments are how we're to relate with each other. So he gives them both a, a laws related to, relating to God and relating to each other. It's like we're in this big, big yard together, and he sets up this fence line around there, and he says, you can do all these things within the fence line, just don't jump the fence. But we are sort of rebellious in nature, and we often jump the fence. So that's what the Ten Commandments were for, for one thing, is to give them what the standard of expectations were for them. And this is called the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Old Testament were written by Moses. It's called the Pentateuch, which means five, the Torah, which means the law of God. And not only were there the Ten Commandments, there were 16, 613 laws that were dished out throughout these books about how all of the ways they were supposed to interact with each other. But let's go ahead and read the, um, the Ten Commandments together just to refresh our memories about those and what they are and what God said. And because this is God speaking, these are his words, his words. Let's read them. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation 
of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is its Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within <clears throat> your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So those are the basic Ten Commandments. Written out for us as a reminder to us, written out for them as a way by which they were to live with each other and it was a form of protection for them. It was a form of blessing to them. It wasn't to cramp their style. It wasn't to just show them who's boss. It was, it was to say to them, this is what will be good for you. Do these things and you will, it will go well for you. Do not do these things and you'll have problems. All right, the other thing then that we know that this showed to them was a new conviction. And that is to say, not only does the law show the way in which we're to worship God and the way we relate to each other, but having that law now, we understand that when we break that law, we have the conviction of sin. So the law brought protection, but it also brought conviction to the people and their hearts about the way of the way in which they were living their lives. And so that was one of the purposes of the law as well, to cause them to understand and to have a standard that when they did something wrong, they couldn't say, somebody else's it was somebody else's fault they had to they had to fess up and it was something that they could commit and unite around together as a community for worship and for relationship with one another it also gave them a new way of worship it was called a covenant but it was a, based upon a sacrificial system and it was based upon offerings so that when there was conviction of sin within the camp that that would be punished without the offering or without the sacrifice that they would make, that what they call the, the sacrifice of atonement, the door of atonement. They set up a whole new worship system for them. They set up a system of priests. The Levites became the priests. They had the tabernacle, as I said. They had all of these offerings that they had to now give, and it was based upon uh, their activities with God. They had burnt offerings, grain offerings, fellowship offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. And so a new nation is being born, and they're being born to be different, a different group of people, a people of God. 
This was only a foreshadowing of all that was to come with Jesus. Peter, one of the apostles of Christ in the New Testament, he wrote this. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So it's still possible for us to go into slavery. It's what enslaves us. What are you enslaved to? We talked about that. We are still enslaved to some habits and behaviors and activities and and things that we do in our lives that are hurting us and hurting other people. We, as a people, are also a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a possession of God. And, And so here we are together in this place now, all these many, many, many years later. We've moved ourselves forward, and God has said that we are his people. We are a chosen. As strange as that might seem, as, as, as wacky as we might all be, as full of sin and, and rebellion and disobedience as, and the grumbling that we might all have, God has chosen you. He has chosen us. I choose you. I want you. I love you. I want to relate with you. I want you to relate with each other. I want you to be a family. I want to use you to tell the world about me. That's what he wants of us. Just as he wanted that of the Israelite people. He wanted to use them as an example to all the people around them, all these other nations, that this is how I will reveal myself to the world around you. And as we sang in the anthem, they will know we are Christians by our love. That's how they will know us. We don't show them our best good and we don't show them our great God by some of the ways in which we behave with each other and also in our own personal relationships. He desires to stay within us. But instead of building a tabernacle and a covenant and all that, he comes and takes up residence inside of our souls, inside of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He has saved us. We have a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Let me read to you about what Jesus is. Jesus is the greater Moses, and he is the one who fulfills the law. He came not to put an end to the law. He fulfilled it. How did he fulfill the law? Because he lived a perfect, sinless life. That makes him the the once-for-all sacrifice for us. He is the greater Passover lamb who was slain to remove the wrath of God. Jesus is the greater firstborn son, who died for our sins and none of his own. Jesus is the greater victor, who defeated the greatest Pharaoh ever, and that was Satan. Jesus is the great Savior, who redeems not just a million of one nation, but billions of people for all time, from every nation, every language, every tongue. Jesus is the greater lawgiver. Not only is the law written, It's on stone, but it's also written on our hearts. And he wants us to obey that law. And he he refined that law into the great commandment. And let's put that up as a reminder to us. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? All those 613 laws are boiled down to this. And they're the same idea. How to love God, how to love people. Love the Lord your God. Let's read it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's it. Pretty simple for all of us compared to the way it was for the people in the desert 
in for the people of Israel in the desert. Pretty simple for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets are summed up in that. Pretty easy to say, pretty challenging to live up. God wants to be the center of our lives. He wants to be the Lord of our lives. We are not to be the one who sit on this throne and make a God functional to us. It's like sometimes we treat God as though he's our butler. Get me, give me, do for me. We, we, at our beck and call. The Purpose Driven Life, written by Rick Warren, is one of the all-time bestsellers of any book ever written. And one of the primary things that he says in the very beginning of the book is, it's not about you. So much of our life we make about us. Think about that. We make so much of our life about us. And we talk about that. You just think about all the things you talk about, and a lot of the things you talk about, a lot of the things you distress over, are things that relate to you. And God says, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about honoring me. It's about worshiping me. It's about knowing me. It's about glorifying me. It's about living for me. And it's about you living the way I want you to live with one another. That's what it's all about. If you want to know about purpose in life, that's what it is. It also said in that book, and I've said this many times, two questions. What did you do with my son? And what did you do with what I gave you? He wants all of it. He wants all of you. And when he has that, you get all of him. That's a beautiful thing. The last thing I'm, I'm going to throw up for you here is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And uh, this is another New Testament verse written by Paul that, it, that reinforces this whole idea. Old Testament, New Testament. Old Covenant, New Covenant. Let's read this one together. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We couldn't comprehend how the people of Israel could stand in that desert place and say they had it better back in Egypt. Remember how they did that? Oh, I wish, you know, back in Egypt we had all this, you know. They, they, they talked about it in glowing terms. They were slaves. They <laughs> They were working to the bone. They were having to kill their firstborn. They were having to kill not only just their firstborn sons, but all the boys that were born. They, they, they forgot. It's not good back there. But we do a similar thing with us. We go and hearken back to a good old time that we lived at some point or another. And, you know, the good old days. They weren't so good. We over... We just over-exaggerate that. It was slavery. And that's what this saying here. Why would you go back and burden, be burdened again by a yoke of slavery? Slavery to sin and death and all that yuck and all that suffering and all that stuff you did when you jumped the fence. 
live together, live free, but live with me and live with each other the way I want you to. Beautiful thing. It's a great teaching. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Jesus Christ, the Passover Lamb, our Savior. Oh my goodness, how beautiful is that? Let's pray together. Father, on this day, we are grateful to you for the way you have given us a record of your way with people throughout the centuries of time. You have revealed yourself to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and you have revealed yourself to us today. And not only we no longer have to have this, this physical tabernacle for you to be present, you live within us. You want us to be your people, chosen, set apart, holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of God that would be giving testimony and evidence that you are within us, that we can tell the world and show to the world, oh God, that there is a God who loves all people. And there is a Savior who has died for all people. We just pray, God, that as we open that and celebrate that, that you would just draw people, Lord. We ask you to bring people. As we talked about with someone this week, that the people, the harvest is ripe. The people will just begin to, to harvest themselves, the, the deep desire in this chaotic, crazy world we're living in that continues to spiral out of control. That people would come to you and that we would be instruments to share your love with them. People need you. And I pray that as a church, as a body, as a community of believers, we will not show the worst of who we are with each other. But they will keep short accounts with one another in our relationships. They would practice the ministry of reconciliation. That we would not grumble or harbor grudges. That we would not have divided hearts that we wouldn't put our place, ourselves first, but that we would serve as you came to serve us. This is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues.